0: hello hey Vijetha. hi mira this is our new episode it's been a while since we recorded and i'm really
1: excited to record it <laughs> i know we haven't done one in a very long time
0: i know together we haven't done one in a while so who was the sad.
1: last person that we did
0: together, together i think the yeah. last person we interviewed was probably dr gregor
1: right? oh yeah exactly yeah. Wow. And that that was, was what? That two was two and a half, three years ago. Okay. That
0: interview was called. Um, I think that interview was called like, "Are we hatching a new pandemic?" or something like that. And we were we were talking about what it would be like to be in the middle of a pandemic. And now we've been in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> for a long time. Oh my gosh! This has been such a difficult time for so many people, just with the pandemic and then everything else. But. We're going to have some COVID-related episodes in the future. However, this one's actually going to be focused on something that hits close to home for a lot of people, which is body image and how that connects to health and
1: wellness and all those kinds of things. So, And also what the role of, you know, external versus internal um uh influences are to body shaming, you know. And when I mean external, I mean social media and the people around you um, versus internal. Like how do you cope with that, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And internal as well, meaning, you know, if people have body image issues, a lot of times that stems from something um deeper. Traumatic or deeper in their life as well. So it's complicated. But We thought it would be an important topic to cover for the public health community because so much of the work in public health is centered around keeping people healthy, physically healthy, you know, getting them to exercise more, things like that. But there's also this mental health component that we have to consider, which is the cost of things like weight stigma and the culture of body shaming that is created both by healthcare as well as just the larger marketing media landscape. And so we wanted to try to to break that down a little bit and see how we could promote health without causing or perpetuating weight stigma. Completely agree. Completely agree. Right. So um, do you have any, I don't know, do you have any like personal anecdotes around this or
1: not really? Let me think. Hmm. Not a personal one per se, but I would say, you know, growing up, in um in an Indian household, you know, and going back to India, where I was born, you know there is a culture not specifically around weight um that I saw, but you know there's this cream called fair and Lovely that was always promoted you know in India, and I know they specifically have gotten a lot of backlash in the previous years, you know mm-hmm. where where their, their messaging was always fair is better. Whereas light skin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's not the case. And that's caused a lot of mental health issues specifically in India. And so um I think that the backlash was good for them. You know, I think it was good to promote a more neutral skin um related messaging to their marketing versus what they have been doing for um, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, I don't even know how old the company is. Well, but I would say that's something that's really connected to um, seeing good progression happening in the recent past, you know?
0: Yeah. And that's, it's interesting that you bring that up, because I think a lot of that, too, resulted from colonialism. I mean, India was colonized by the British for quite some time. And so when you talk about white supremacy, and kind of this idea that fair skin is better, it's something that is It's also the result of probably a lot of collective trauma that they endured, you know, and internalized um throughout the course of that period of of colonialism um but then now it's it's time to kind of step back and and look at, well, are we including dark skinned women in Bollywood movies? Are we including dark skinned women in all kinds of media? So
1: for sure. And, you know, celebrities are talking about it more openly now than they used to, which I think is not just Indian celebrities, but, you know, celebrities all around the world. And I think that that's good. It's good for, um, you know, people that have that influence to really get behind some of these issues.
0: Right. And it seems like a lot of people are, you know, no matter what culture they live in, a lot of people are put in a situation where, their bodies are either considered attractive or not based off of whatever image they see the most in the media around them. And we know that there is not really any such thing as an objectively, um, you know, attractive or unattractive body in a way because cultures and and different time periods have always promoted different things. Um, And if, if you look historically at the kinds of things that were popular, whether it's, you know small feet or small faces or certain skin tones or whatever. It's always varied across time. So um,
1: what about you? Do you have any, you know, personal anecdotes to this specific topic?
0: I don't know if I have that many personal anecdotes per se, but with every facial feature and with every body type, there are people that can celebrate it and people that don't celebrate it, but we need to celebrate what we have and so my perspective on my own body is celebrating who i am naturally and and i'm not even stigmatizing people that get plastic surgery i think that if you get plastic surgery you have every right to do that but you know and and if and it's your decision and it might be an important thing for your career or whatever but i think it would be nice for people to celebrate who they are instead of feel like they have to look a certain way in order for other people to accept them.
1: Agreed. And I think, um, it comes down to, you know, at the end of the day, being comfortable with self-acceptance, you know, just even getting to that point.
0: Right. So I think this is going to be a good conversation. Um, and, and this, these issues also apply to everybody that, you know, every, every, every type of person really, um, that, has body image issues to to try and question what we see around us rather than questioning ourselves constantly. And I think the default is for people to hate themselves or to internalize the sorts of biases that we get around us on a daily basis um, instead of questioning the system and society, the structures and institutions that create those biases. So, um...
1: Hashtag self (laughs) accept (laughs)
0: <laughs> we just make that a new case confirmed hashtag, hashtag self acceptance. Our special guest speaker on this episode is Jesse Neeland. She is a certified life coach and clinical sexologist on a mission to help folks break free from body image issues, body anxiety, and body hatred. By digging deep into the root causes of their body image issues, she helps people move towards body neutrality, radical self-acceptance, and a deep sense of self-worth and self-confidence that has nothing to do with how they look. Thanks for joining us, Jessie. Really excited to have you um, on the show and to welcome you here. Welcome, Jesse. Excited <laughs> to talk to you today. Thank you, Jesse, for being on our podcast. I'm really excited to have you. And we're really interested in your expertise, particularly on the topic of body shaming. And we wanted to know kind of what the public health community can do um, to sort of help with this problem.
2: Yeah. Um, so what I see in my practice is that anybody who was shamed for, uh, their weight or the shape or size of their body at some point that that often has a spiral effect. It makes them maybe start dieting, and then the dieting makes them feel really bad about themselves because ninety five percent of diets fail. So then they're looking at really major body image issues and self consciousness, mixed with um, worse and worse confidence and self worth because they've been trying to fix this little thing about themselves that they got shamed for, and it doesn't work because long term sustainable weight loss is not generally the outcome of dieting. Um, so it also you know, has really major mental health effects, I would say, uh, in a negative way. It also tends to make people take less good care of themselves. People who are body shamed tend to be the least likely to be exercising regularly, eating healthfully. And it actually does have an effect on the metabolism where they tend to weigh more as well imagine anybody being called out in the kind of way that body shaming tends to do, we start to feel really self-conscious. We start to remember or recognize for the first time that people are looking at us and judging us. It can cause intense anxiety and it can lead to a sort of paranoia that people are constantly Mm -hmm. judging us and our bodies. It can also just make us feel like we don't belong. You know, If we experience multiple episodes of being body shamed, we feel like, oh, I just Nobody will love me. Nobody will accept me. I don't belong here.
0: What types of factors, kind of in our environment or socially, do you think are the most damaging? I know Vijaytha mentioned earlier that social media was particularly
2: problematic today. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think media and marketing are two major places that we're constantly seeing images of human bodies that do not actually represent the wide array of diverse uh, human bodies that exist in our day-to-day life. They tend to represent a really homogenous, very thin, for women, very femme, very put together and sort of glamorous. There is a very particular look to what we're seeing, and that definitely makes us it it sort of messes with our wiring because we're we're sort of wired to prefer what we see a lot of. And being thin is also a representation at this point in our culture of wealth, high status, high class, like mm-hmm. the exact thing that used to be, oh, you have enough money to afford to eat and be, you know, a little bit round is now flipped. What are some current initiatives that are going on in our world to address body shame? Mm. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of energy behind the body positivity movement, that looks a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. Some versions of it is very inclusive. Some of it is not. I mean, we see things like, you know, the dove campaigns that say you're beautiful just the way you are and love yourself and your curves. And we see things like that represented occasionally. I think brands are kind of catching on that the younger generations really want more self-acceptance and less of like the sort of perfect idealized people on pedestals. But I I honestly, I don't see a ton of initiatives, at least not that are especially effective outside of things like eating disorder recovery kind of stuff. I don't know if you've seen it on Instagram where
0: basically there's pictures of different women, Mm -hmm. just very diverse body types. And overlaid on those photos are qualities like internal qualities. And it's, it's pretty powerful because it just goes to show like how much women mm. are identified that we don't even notice it anymore. It just is like the background noise of everything. Yeah. Um. So I don't know if that's, if that's effective or yeah. not, I haven't looked into any, uh, so you know, research know uh, addressing whether it's made an impact, but I think that that was one approach that was taken to just try and
2: focus on women as people as Mm -hmm. opposed
0: to things.
2: Yeah. The, the idea that women should feel beautiful is really misguided to me because it still places the emphasis on them as objects. Um, It still keeps the emphasis on their value being coming from, from being attractive. So I love anything. Um, Beauty Redefined also does a really great job of this. Um, They have a, a book more than a body and it really unpacks what it means to be a person who has identified as you move through the world as someone to be looked at and then how powerful it is to shift that, especially for people raising daughters, you know, it's a really powerful shift to, to stop complimenting each other on how we look and trying to like cheer each other up and make each other feel good based on how we look. So the change really
0: has to start at such an early point, you know, in childhood, there's these influences. Absolutely. So, do you have any other initiatives that come to mind mm-hmm. just, or did we cover it pretty well?
2: I would say that depending on what is being stigmatized, there is probably a movement out there to push back against it if you look, and I encourage people to look. So if the thing that feels really stigmatizing to you is acne, there is absolutely like pro natural skin social media accounts and people out there sort of bearing their, their, blemishes without like basically to challenge mm-hmm. in the face of we're supposed to hide this we never see acne on like magazine covers or, you know, we we just, it's super invisible, um, because people can edit it out of photos and videos so easily and they do. So then that makes people who have it feel really stigmatized. So, I mean, that would be one example. There's, I feel like there's similar, um, kind of pushback to stigma in, in every capacity you can imagine, the weight stigma is a huge movement. Health at every size is incredibly effective and powerful in pushing back against weight stigma because it it really focuses on bias in health care, in the like medical care, and empowers people to really stand up for their rights and challenge the bias in the system. So for example, like in a really practical day-to-day way, and I feel like health at every size is sort of one of the leaders in those spaces, and intuitive eating is another. Movement. Not everybody is a great candidate for it because if you have like a history of controlling your food in a very particular mm-hmm. way, sometimes intuitive eating can just feel like another set of rules. It's not supposed to, but it can. So yeah, it, it's not like the perfect solution for everybody, but it is an amazing pushback. Can
1: we, can we delve into this eating for nutrients versus eating for calories a little bit more? What are your thoughts on that?
2: Uh, sure. So, diet culture, which is essentially just like mainstream culture at this point, will say that it is very good, very healthy, very important that we all pay attention to what we eat, eat certain way, eat certain calories. You know that controlling our intake and not letting ourselves indulge too much is all really, really good. But unfortunately, that that tends to slide into dieting, and it tends to make people get really out of control with food. Strangely, sort of counterintuitively. Um, so, personally. I can't think of a single person who would be right. better off with long-term health by counting their calories. Calories are just a distraction. They get you in your head. They get you in a really weird place about moralizing food as good or bad, or I, I did good or bad because I went over or under this number today. It makes the experience of eating very weird. And it leads to a lot of like mental health stuff, kind of making people binge because they felt restricted or making, you know, it just gets things like totally out of whack. And it makes you lose touch with the signals in your body that say, I want to eat this. I want to eat that. I'm going to, you know, I'm hungry now. I'm going to stop when I'm full. So intuitive eating is really just a tool to kind of get you back into a place where you can hear those cues and listen internally instead of like counting numbers. The cool thing is that we're all born intuitive eaters. This is not something you have to learn out of nowhere. This is something we're all born with that just gets like often sort of stuffed out of us based on people telling us what to do or what to eat or what not to eat, etc. Um, dieting will mess this up, but so will things like if you have a parent who says like, you know, you, you haven't eaten enough, you have to eat more, right? They're just kind of basically overriding your your child, the child's cues of internal stuff. So Intuitive eating is what we we start with. It's what we're born with. If it were cultivated throughout a lifetime and it was always talked about in a way that that was honored, you wouldn't have to go learn this in adulthood.
0: So you've probably seen such a broad range of perspectives on how to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And you came to this conclusion after watching people for a long time struggle with a lot of different things, right? So were there any defining moments in your career where your philosophy changed?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of them, p- part of the thing you have to understand is that I was, tra- I was in New York city and I was training at a private gym and I was training like the most, you know, conventionally beautiful women in the world. Like I had Victoria's secret models. I had, um, like really successful actresses and we were all having the exact same conversations as everybody else, like as the weekend warriors and as the moms and as the, like, you know, everybody was just, it, it became so obvious to me that the thing they were trying to fix by getting in shape couldn't be fixed by getting in shape because the women who are setting the standard that that the other women wanted to get to were still feeling that way. Um, and so that was really where it came from. I think initially that I started to right. be like, okay, well then what is it? Like, what is it that they want? What is it that hurts? What is the what is the solution to this problem? Right. And I also learned a lot about stress and trauma and how they affect the body. And, and when you learn about the science of stress and you realize how stressed I, well, I did. I realized how stressed all of my clients were about like what they were eating and whether or not they had a workout that day. It became really clear why, first of all, it often didn't work. And second of all, the healthier thing to do would be to feel more neutrally about health. Which is a very counterintuitive thing to say, but for somebody to obsess over getting all of the right things and eating all of the right things and working out exactly the right way, yeah. they're actually causing more stress to their bodies. They're they're not necessarily adding to their health tank, you know. Like it may be a net negative for them because they're obsessed and they're feeling guilty and they're like, you know, pushing themselves past their limits. Things. I totally
0: agree. I, Which I've is kind of just seen fascinating. This through some of my public health writing projects, where now. A lot of the writing isn't necessarily encouraging, you know, larger, intense workouts, but more just moving a little bit more throughout the day and kind of helping your body feel better as opposed Mm -hmm. to achieving a certain type of like rigid or difficult lifestyle where you, you know, have to kind of punish yourself for not um, doing a hard workout every single day. Because the truth is a lot of people also cannot do that. I mean, we all live in a world where we have competing responsibilities and health is important, but it has to fit in with everything else. And it has to also involve mental health as you're describing and not just be purely focused on the physical. Mm -hmm. And that as, as, as animals, as we naturally are, Mm -hmm. I mean, historically and evolutionarily, we were probably moving around quite a bit during the day in in a natural way. Um, I mean this whole sitting at a desk nine to five situation yeah. that many people endure
2: is, is just so unnatural. Yeah. And if you work really hard at a workout, your, your body will also ask you to recover because it's not, you know, it doesn't know what you have to do that day. It's, it's going to be a little mm-hmm. bit lazier or it's going to ask you to rest more because you worked hard and it's trying to get you back to like homeostasis. So it it also has that kind of effect built in on top of the psychological thing you just said. So ultimately those people end up moving less than someone who maybe just, you know, commits to like walking to the grocery store a little further, like parking away and walking a little further or whatever that person might be more in motion all day, but never get to the same intensity. And yeah, I mean,
1: do you feel that people need to heal on an
2: individual level
1: before there's wider social reform that goes
2: on? Yeah, I would say I think it's both. <laughs> I would not recommend holding your breath until the world was body neutral before healing your own body image issues because you'd be waiting a long time. Um, I believe that we each have a responsibility once you kind of get to see some of the like anti-diet science. I, I believe once you are able to see through the lies that diet culture has given us, um, and that in a lot of ways, health and wellness culture have given us, it is kind of our responsibility to start sharing that in our own circles and sort of fighting against the stigma and doing that work uh, for social change wherever we can and, and in whatever way makes sense for us. So in my coaching practice, I've developed a methodology that I don't know if anybody else is doing this or not, but this is how I do it. We work on finding the reason that they needed to develop body image issues in the first place. and. There is always a reason. Like it might seem illogical, but it's absolutely not. Body image issues show up to solve a problem that we didn't feel we could solve at the age that they arose, um, to give us a sense of control or agency at a time we didn't have control or agency, uh, to help us cope at a time we didn't have a lot of coping skills. So whatever it is, we figure that out, and then we look at that thing directly and solve the problem as an adult, or learn other skills for coping. If you're completely um, reliant on let's say, dieting and overexercising to stay, you know, people will say, oh, I get too anxious. I have to do these things. I have to, like, you know, eat a salad for lunch and go for a run. Otherwise, I just, I get really anxious or uncomfortable. Well, that's a pretty big sign. You need a bunch of different, you know, diverse coping skills to be built up around that. Otherwise, you are going to need those compulsive behaviors and you are going to need um, to be sort of driven by the body image issues that are underneath them. So we go in and we figure out what what purpose they're serving.
0: Because it seems Mm -hmm. like a lot of weight and body image issues have a a, spiritual core to them, either, you know, trying to get control over a situation or even like a fear of rejection. There's all kinds Mm -hmm. of things that can keep people in a cycle of dieting and weight loss. So how do you...
2: Absolutely. And there's there's the lie that we've been given that if we... Look a certain way, we will be safe from rejection, and that's not true. You, everybody gets rejected, you know. But like learning to tolerate rejection is very different than protecting yourself from it, or attempting to protect yourself from it permanently by looking a certain way. So whether we
0: like it or not, it still matters in the workplace how you look, especially for women. And so for a lot of people, they might not even be able to financially afford rejection. And in a sense, like there is that ability to emotionally tolerate it, but then there's also, you know, Mm -hmm. all kinds of financial costs to not looking like conventionally attractive in our culture. So it's a, it's a complicated problem. Um, But I like this approach that you're taking. That's, that's really looking at the root and trying to go from there.
2: Yeah. I think that that, when we're looking at the kind of stigma and discrimination, Um, that you just described, like you could theoretically lose your job if you worked in an industry or an organization that prioritized a very particular look, right? Or maybe you wouldn't get hired in the first place because they would just discriminate against you based on how you looked. What tends to happen in the work those people have to do to move on past their hating of how they look is to recognize that the problem is not them. To stop internalizing the feeling that If only they would change, then things would be fine. Because it's true. They're dealing with bias and discrimination and they may even be in danger, financial danger. Um, They may have to chase a certain aesthetic in order to stay financially safe or physically safe. They're
1: forced to change their social identities because of this bias and discrimination. Whereas it's not a social identity issue. It's a institutional issue, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Let's, Talk about how body image issues affect, whether they affect all genders equally, whether there's, you know, um, different issues or anything like that.
2: Yeah, so I would say it disproportionately affects women and by women, I should say those who are conditioned as girls, you know, so those who grew up sort of in that in that space of being viewed as sexual objects and being sexualized really young and being, um, as you uh, mentioned before, like sort of stripped of their internal value and being devalued. So I do think that that is true, but also it is a rising situation among men. Their body image issues are different because they're gendered. Um, men have to look like the, the sort of ideal for men is very different. They have to look big and strong and muscular and lean and athletic and powerful, whereas women are supposed to, according to the ideal, sort of look tiny and dainty and delicate and thin. So the standards are different, but the pressure to look a certain way does affect everybody. And it affects trans people in a really unique way as well, um, both because there's the sort of bias and discrimination happening there in society, uh, which them very unsafe to live in their bodies, to look how they look and be who they are. Um, and also because just gender dysphoria is a whole other layer to body image that can, um, affect people who are non-binary or transgender. Um, so yeah, I would say pretty much everybody has something that could show up as a really, um, a really uncomfortable body image situation
0: i want to just kind of end this on a on a positive note for our listeners and also connect it back to public health as a whole because public health is focused a lot on kind of reforming our environment so that we can create better health outcomes for everybody and within the public health world
2: Mm. i think
0: that there is a lot of focus on weight loss because of how much how many you know conditions are associated with Mm. with high weight and so how can people merge their desire for better physical health outcomes and also keep in mind these kind of uh, uh, how can they do that while
2: avoiding weight
0: stigma I guess yeah, that's
2: a good question. Um, so I, I would say the very simple mm-hmm. answer is you just focus on behaviors and let go of the concept of weight altogether. Because when weight is linked to um, negative health outcomes, most of the time, like the dra- uh, the drastic majority of the time, we're talking about it being linked to certain unhealthy mm-hmm. behaviors that have led to both weight and those other negative health outcomes, right? So if that person who happens to live in a large body and has high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, whatever it may be, if that person went moved towards healthier habits, they may see some changes in their blood work. They may also see some weight loss. But Focusing on weight loss is likely to kind of blow up in their face because we know that dieting doesn't work. It leads to more stress and negative health outcomes, negative mental health outcomes. So, focusing on health, or sorry, focusing on weight, is just not a great plan. But focusing on behaviors is.
1: When a person goes in to meet with their PCP, should their a primary care physician be educating them on, you know, these behavioral concepts that you're talking about and how to prevent, you know, negative health outcomes?
2: I imagine a world in which everyone shows up at their doctor and their doctor says, you know, how much movement are you getting? What does that look like? Tell me about your stress levels. Like, what are you doing? What are you, what are your coping skills for when it gets really stressful? Like that I think would be incredible. It's probably never going to happen though. It's very easy and very fast for someone to, to do a little quick math and say, Oh, your BMI is getting a little high. Better get that under control. It's very difficult to keep track of all the other stuff. So I wish that were a bigger conversation and that weight wasn't really a part of it. But, um, I, I think People need to kind of do this work for themselves. Makes
0: total sense. I think
2: everything that you've said is really
0: important um, in terms of a public health perspective to moving towards mental health and physical health for everybody. Is there anything else you'd like to add just in general?
2: Yeah. So for me, you can find me at com and also on Instagram at jesseneeland.com. Um, I do offer coaching private and group. This is, I mean, this is the work I do. I help people sort of figure this stuff out for themselves and, and reach body neutrality, um, so that they're not stressed about body image all the time. Um, but for resources that I can recommend, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but the it diet (laughs) is a really good one. Um, anti-diet diet is a really great one as well, Christy Harrison. So um, I think there's a lot of really phenomenal books out there.
1: (laughs) That's great. Thank you so much for being on our show, Case Confirmed, Jesse. I really learned a lot today.